Brandon, I told Katie yesterday, I said, I'm I said something. She did something. I said, you know, I only trust you like 70%. She said, when did it go down to 50%? I said, 50% is where you started. She thought it went down. (laughs) (laughs) Which is ahead of most white people. So you're doing good. That's facts. Right. You got your script, Sam? Katie, you called it. That's because we're on the 39th episode of the Holy Shit Pod, and we are we did maybe, I don't know. Katie, I don't need a script. You need the script. Twelve and a half hundred. And you still need a damn script. This is all facts on facts. Right. If we don't have a script. Katie gonna stumble through the whole thing. Well, she owns it. Brandon can call me and say, let's record in two minutes. I'm saying, let's go. Katie be like, I can't do this yet. That is true. (laughs) Yeah. This is still all true. It's true. And I'm not offended by it. This is just who I am. You know, white people don't know shame. (laughs) Just tell her to turn to Psalm 23. White people do not know shame. What is up, good people? Welcome back to Holy Shit Pod, a holy, irreverent, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. I am your favorite host, the host with the most, Reverend Brandon T. Maxwell. You ain't no host with no most. Mm-mm. Am. Mm. I'm the token white person here to speak on behalf of white people trying to do better. <laughs> you sound like it, too. <laughs> right. The Reverend Karen Teresa Ricks. But some people call her KT. No, she's a Karen. <laughs> I do not like and, you. And, and we say the best for last. I'm the mostest host with the mostest. I don't know why Brandon think he the mostest or something. It gets on my nerves. It's written right here. You're the most. I'm the most. You are the most. That's the Samuel <laughs> Lee White the third. Most something. Oh, look. Don't forget about me. Natasha Prince Sanders is back in the building, baby. <laughs> so, I guess you're right, Sam. We did save the best for last. <laughs> I am here. Who? Papa. <laughs> Who this woman? Somebody called her Liberty. That's her nickname. I learned that last night. Zaddy. I I don't even know who this is. We need to to lower the testosterone around here. How did this person get in the record room? I just don't understand. It's called invitation only. So this week, we have a word of pop that's a follow-up on last week's conversation about that old devil. A few of you wrote in noting that you wanted Katie to talk about her views on the devil, good and evil. So we're having a little bit of what the Quakers call further liberty, but you might just call it the B-side of the conversation. And with the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse. Yes, very much that. As I was saying, the Kyle Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse trial gives us plenty of fodder for the B-side of the combo. But before the word of pop, we've got a few church announcements for the good of the congregation, so let's get into it. Good morning, good morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go back to the church of holy shit in the temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. Welcome back once again to this house of pod where three or four of your favorite ministers loosen up our clergy collars, play a little B-52 and tell it like a T-I-E is. Only Katie gets that reference. First and foremost, I want to welcome back my sister, Natasha Prince Sanders. Thank you very much, um, Reverend Brandon T. Maxwell. It is a pleasure a privilege and an honor, indeed, to be in the House of Pod one more time. We're so glad. We're so blessed. That's a lie. Blessed by your presence. That's a lie. Yes. I feel like you need to have a podcast name, and I feel like we should utilize the name Liberty because that seems so true to your spirit. The, well, you know, the spirit never lies, okay? I might need to check with the author of the name Liberty if it can be freed up for the people. Is that like a bedroom name? Like, you, you help <laughs> to give him Liberty in the bedroom? Not, Ooh, I like what you did there. Well, <laughs> it is not a bedroom name. He definitely calls me... He, my husband does not call me Natasha unless... I'm so blessed. Like, I can count on my hands the number of times he's called me Natasha. So he calls me Liberty all the time. And in fact, he tells people when he introduces me, this is Natasha, but you'll hear me call her Liberty. So ask him if we can free that up for the people. If we can Liberate the liberty. Mm, hallelujah. I will, I will. Hallelujah. All right. If you're new to the pod, each week we take 15 or 20, maybe 30 minutes to talk about what is happening in the world via a segment we like to call church announcements. It's all the foolishness of church announcements in the black church without the dutiful obligation of attending yet another event on a Wednesday night when you'd rather be home watching Survivor or whatever normal people watch. Liberty, will you do the honors of reading our first announcement? I most certainly, <laughs> certainly will. It's actually ironic considering the conversation so far, but keep going. Correct. Correct. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. This announcement is for the deadbeat dad and the outdated patriarchal masculinity ministry. Come on here. 
last Tuesday, we celebrated World Vasectomy Day 2021. If you haven't heard of it before, don't worry, neither have we. (laughs) But apparently... This all started in 2012 when American filmmaker Jonathan Stack. Jonathan Stack. Brandy. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry, it's too early. It's too early. Yeah. It's Stack. which could have a meaning of its own, who chronicled his bisectomy process in a documentary. White people. So, for all your deadbeat dads and hyper-masculine men out there who are too macho to (laughs) stick and stay around (laughs) and follow your children, (laughs) you know, like co-parent, do us all a favor and please save the date for World Bisectomy Day 2022. Or you don't have to wait that long. I mean, there is tomorrow. (laughs) Um, which will occur in November of next year. Time tubes, y'all, is not the only way to engage in family planning. Hello. Nip the nads, fellas. Nip the nads. (laughs) Reply as a heterosexual man in a heterosexual partnership. (laughs) Same as childish. Heterosexual means it's being homosexual partnerships. Oh, come on, Natasha. You know what? You know what? She she ain't told no lies. She ain't told no lies. She ain't. She ain't. Cause somebody's pastor looking like that's me. But, <laughs> but this indicates that Brandon has a particular way he wants me to respond. He's telling you what to do. What? You can respond how you want to, but I'm trying to flow. <laughs> I'm trying to help us flow because your ass talked about you was up till 3 a.m. for pleading the blood of Jesus over your life. <laughs> Natasha, this is a fascinating announcement. A lot of my friends, we have this conversation all the time. Why is there an expectation? that the woman is the only person in a heterosexual relationship that has to take this action when, number one, it's a lot less invasive for men. It's a lot less painful for men. It's also uh, reversible. But somehow, is the expectation is always that women have to go and get their tubes tied um, when these men need to just go and, and, and get their... And I like the way you framed this for you deadbeat dads, for you Brandons out there. Let's uh-uh. go, Brandon. No, because my solution to all this is to be a homosexual. <laughs> Brandon, yes, but it wasn't always the case. And in and, and those 10 years that you wasn't, you might have some little Brandons running around here we don't know. Child, I ain't got that because I'm safe. You <laughs> said I'm safe. Well, I mean, Brendan, my, I, I'm a lesbian, so that also helps. But um, I think it isn't just for deadbeat dads. It's for people, Sam, I think you were starting to allude to that, in heterosexual relationships where the father is, you know, the man in the relationship is sticking around. You mean staying around? <laughs> sticking around too many people? Oh, shit. <laughs> He's been doing too much sticking around. <laughs> Stick around. I guess it's for them that can't stop sticking around. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. They got um, stuck around. <laughs> this makes Katie uncomfortable. No, it's fine. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, it's just being around heterosexual people or men that sleep with men. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, it's the embodiment of patriarchy to say that the man gets to stay and be virile. Is that how you say it? You can say it however you want to because Natasha said vasectomy and not vasectomy so you can really say whatever you want. <laughs> All right. <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> North Carolina. All right. So, I mean, I think, you know, um, someone may ask, what would a pastor do in a situation where um, a man did not want to consider vasectomy as an option? And, I, and I, actually, as a pastor, I would probably refer out because I think that's a bigger <laughs> question, right? I mean, because that's a bigger question in the relationship. You said you were telling them to pull out. Refer out. <laughs> refer out. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I was like, I just didn't think that would be your advice. Tell them to pull out. I don't, I mean, I know what that is. I don't even know how it works. So I would not recommend it, you know. So what do you mean you don't know how it works? It's quite simple. No, 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 no. We uh, don't need to. I don't need an explanation. <laughs> I, don't need I mean, I get it, but. There's like a time when that happens. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. So I. I, I but you you would refer out. I would refer out just because I think that's that shows kind of deeper 
relationship issues. I mean, I would listen to both of them, but if you have a situation where... She's a deeper. We can't use language. We can't say nothing today. <laughs> we can't say what she deeper relationship deeper, issues. Deeper. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Might be a problem say if you're trying to pull out. I'm done. That's what I would do. Yeah, all crazy. Well, are there any other closing <laughs> remarks about World Protectomy Day? I think the message is to go get your nads nipped, according to Natasha, and don't put it all on women. Okay, enough of that. Katie, we missed you so much last week. Oh, I missed y'all too. Katie wasn't here last week? I hate you, Sam. He's so disrespectful. Life was just too crazy, but I got to edit it, so that's good. <laughs> but since you were gone, you know what we need today? Since you were gone. We need a little bit of an update from Katie's COVID corner. You got COVID? <laughs> Wait a minute. Can, can, can we all sing that together? One, two, three. Katie's COVID corner. Katie, well, you add your voice. Don't make a make a joyful noise. The answer to that was no. Okay. Um, Katie's COVID corner. I am not adding. Uh, Natasha didn't either. Look, she she gave us a uh. She gave us that at the end. Uh. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's asking about what's going to happen as we enter into the flu season and winter time when everybody's going to be back in the buildings and, and kind of clumped together trying to figure out what's going to happen with COVID. Is it going to spike up again? And the reality is we don't know, but there are three factors that, um, that will impact how this trajectory will go. So it will depend on how our immunity holds up, how the virus changes, and how we behave, right? So we've got maybe, I think it's 56% of the population vaccinated. 59. Oh, 59. It's 59% of the population vaccinated. Most of those are in the North, of course. Where y'all get, where y'all get these numbers from? The, the internet. news. Y'all just pulling shit out y'all here. No, except we're using facts. But go ahead. But there is apparently some immunity from the actual infection. They don't know how long that lasts. But so some people estimate, although I wouldn't want to affirm this with my like extensive scientific background, that there might be about 20% who have uh, immunity from prior infection. But also we don't know if new variants are going to come out and maybe they will be kept down like Delta because of the vaccination rate or the immunization rate. But I think the key one is how we behave, right? So if we're together in rooms and we're masked and we're still social distancing, that's probably still, as it has been for the whole pandemic, the best way for us to make sure that everything doesn't spike again really high. Well, and the other thing for me is like, we're not on this podcast trying to promote fear and make people nervous and like scared to go anywhere. That's not the goal. Our goal is to actually promote public health and to say, because there are a certain number of variables that remain uncertain, unpredictable. The variables that we do know work, like Katie already said, is to wear a mask and then do like me, go get your COVID-19 booster shot because you are most likely eligible now unless you were waiting on Trump to be reinstated into the presidency and avoiding the booster shots by all means. But if you were one of the Americans who participated in vaccinations really early, those who are 65 and older, those who work in hospitals, those who work in schools, those who work in churches, social workers, counselors, and the list goes on and on, you are definitely now eligible for a booster shot. Go to your local Walgreens, to your local CVS, get whatever they got, y'all. Get Pfizer, get Moderna, get Johnson & Johnson. Mm, don't get that one. Just get your booster shot. Right, but I ain't gonna mix it with J&J. No, they say, but they say mixing them can be helpful in real life. I tried to sneak and get my Johnson & Johnson yesterday when I got my booster shot and they wouldn't give it to me so I got my flu shot instead. Thank you, Jesus. They wouldn't give it to you. And I both my arms hurt. It's always bad when you mix it. But I think the FDA yesterday approved or is like mightily close to approving that all adults can get the booster. And so well, I got mine and went to Vegas. Ooh. I'm telling you, I ain't stopping. Ooh. Brandon was in Spain. I sure was. Not the day he got his booster shot, uh, Samuel. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's not how he did it either. So we're also interested in nuance here on Holy Shit Pod. And what I also know is that there are still some Americans, humans, people in the world who are not able to be vaccinated. Don't hear us browbeating. Don't hear us saying things negative about you. We're saying for those who are able to get vaccines, please do so. Thank you. Thank you for the nuance. Uh, there are people who are unable and some who just choose not to, but still live very healthy lives. Like myself, I am not vaccinated. Um, with COVID-19, with the COVID-19 vaccine, let me be very clear. I'm not anti-vax. I have been vaccinated for, for many years. When I turned five and went to kindergarten, I received a whole, whole lot of vaccinations. All okay? of us did. We all had to. Uh-huh. I have not gotten the COVID-19 vaccine. I am under the care of my hematologist as of Tuesday. 
I did not have COVID-19. He looks after me so well. You have had COVID not being vaccinated. Correct. I had COVID last year. Last year this time, I was on my sick bed. Oh, but God. Hey. Mm-hmm. Brandon, I think they need a sermon right here. Hey, oh, Brandon ain't in the preaching spirit. We used to we used to clown and preach and he ain't got the Lord no more. <laughs> he got the devil. <laughs> he got the devil. We about to talk about that in just a minute. I don't have the devil. White supremacists have the devil. I can name a few people who got them. All of the devil. But it ain't me. I mean, Aaron Rodgers got the devil. Listen, let's talk about that. So, so Natasha, you're not just out here like Aaron taking horse tranquilizers. <laughs> I, I say horse tranquilizers because I don't know how to say iver, ivermectin. Is that how you say it? Good job. Uh, Good job. Alabama. Good job. <laughs> Alabama can read. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, you all talked about him last week without me, which is fun. It was totally appropriate to talk about his ridiculousness. Um, you, you were asking me to defend him, and I'm not going to do that because I think, like Natasha just said, there are reasons why people don't get vaccinated. He was lying and then he wasn't following any protocols. He wasn't like doing the things that need to be done to protect his his friends, his team. Or himself, which is not unusual for white men. Right. It's par for the course. I, I no longer have love for this man. Absolutely not. And let's get out of here. This has been your monthly update from Katie's COVID. Katie's COVID Corner. <laughs> <laughs> let's get out of here. This is why we only visit Katie's COVID Corner once a month because they are too foolish. Katie's COVID Corner sounds like a place that you should not be going unless you have like a special relationship with Katie. <laughs> Katie gets COVID. <laughs> Maybe it can be COVID Corner with Katie. No, I like Katie's COVID Corner better because this is a podcast, you can't see it. But in the future, what we're going to do is write it in the script as Katie's COVID, COVID with a K, corner with a K. KKK? KKK, yeah. I think it's cute. KKK? Of course. Now that's <laughs> real cheesy and middle school, but right, you can't do that. And, and it, took her, it took her 10 minutes to, to get it. <laughs> you knew that, right? I was I was like, come on, come on, somebody. Come on and get it. And we're going to put like a white hood on one of the Ks. Jesus. <laughs> Speaking of white hoods. Speaking we- of the KKK. <laughs> Sam, I need you to fill in this last announcement, sir, because I was done with these trials when I learned they had the all-white jury down in Brunswick, and I was done with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial before it got started. And late last week, we learned that Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted on all accounts. There's a lot of things to be pissed about as a result of this, but I'm not going to get in that today. I would like you to take the lead on this, Sam, so that I don't swear profusely. I don't know. You know, Brandon, you know, when we talk about these things, I I get kind of angry and upset. Uh, It kind of started with the jury formation, there's one black person on the jury in 2021. Mm-hmm. That's like Herman Cain's ghost. Mm-hmm. So it's like Clarence Thomas on the jury or some other black person, white uh, white person in blackface. Clarence Thomasina. Clarence Thomasina. <laughs> and the judge admits, the judge says, there clearly is discrimination in the jury selection in this trial, but we're going to move ahead. It's baffling. Crazy. So, the trial continues and black people are responding. Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, other prominent black pastors who have been uh, essential, like them or not, they have been a part of uh, standing beside, advocating for people all, all of their lives, are making their way to Brunswick, Georgia. The defense attorney stands up in court and says, basically, what a lot of these white churches and seminaries have said, we don't want any more black pastors coming down here. Mm-hmm. You ain't lying, Samuel. Go ahead. We don't want any more black pastors coming up in here. Who is that? Jesse Jackson and all of these folks coming up in. And so there's been this tremendous response. Like Brunswick is full of black pastors, black folks who are going to the courthouse, who are demonstrating, who are sitting with the family. And the defense, and they continue to say that, oh, this is a problem. So it's a problem for black pastors to sit with a grieving black family um, where their son was shot close range for no crime. Right. But it's not a problem for only one black person to be a part of the jury. In another part of the country, this young white man is on trial. I'm sorry. In another part of the country, we have a uh, white supremacist terrorist on trial, uh, despite his age, who unlawfully was given a weapon by his mother and dropped off in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and killed two people and shot another. And the judge in this case is treating him like he is a victim. 
and won't allow him to be referred to as, you know, won't allow the people that he killed to be referred to as victims, but they can be referred to as terrorists or looters. And it's, Brandon, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is very exhausting. And I... I just, all I can do is pray and and walk on the trail because I know what it is and I refuse to let my spirit be weary because it's too much work to do. I don't want to come off sounding like I'm not aware. I'm very aware. Um, In in fact, when Arbery was murdered, uh, my brother who used to run in his neighborhood started running in his backyard because he what he did not want to be murdered, and his children who used to walk to the to the pond to see the ducks and feed the ducks in the evening had to walk by a house that put up a sign. The resident put up a sign that said, "Walk for fun, I have a gun," so they could no longer go do that. And so it's just it's it's real too close to home. It is absolutely disgusting, and I've seen it play out so many times that. I don't stop praying, but I'm not surprised. I'm no longer surprised at how this stuff goes. I'm not surprised that um, because of the daily life I live and what I see in, in various places that I go, to hear someone, even in the court of law, say we do not want Black people here supporting one another, which is essentially what this person did. But thankfully, the judge clapped back at him and was like, no, you're not going to do that. Jesse Jackson has a right to be here. And anybody who wants to show up has a right to be here. I do pray for justice. That's that's all I can do at this point is is pray and for, for justice. But that all reminds me of the Nat Ministry, which many of our listeners know about um, with Trisha Hersey Patrick. And like this notion that we have to always fight, that we always have to give white supremacy our energy, that we always have to invest in the struggle. And there is a place for struggle. There is a place for advocating for justice, praying for justice, but there is also a place for rest. At the end of the day, I wish I could say something was surprising. I wish I could say that I didn't know what was going to happen. Whiteness functions in a particular manner and it does it every single time. When, the, when they selected the all-white jury, we knew what was to come. And at the end of the day, it's a crime to be Black in America. And and it's always going to be for Black people to figure out how we defend ourselves and prove that we are actually t- entitled to what the country promises of being innocent until when you're Black in America, it's oftentimes the inverse. When I get progressive liberal white friends who come to me and they want to talk about how horrible this is and talk about what we need to do to fix this, I'm like, the issue is a lot of you aren't willing to do what it takes to actually fix this because y'all want to fight when it's Ahmaud Arbery. You want to fight when it's George Floyd. You want to fight when it comes to Renisha McBride. You want to fight when it comes to Breonna Taylor, but when it comes to the everydayness of this, you're silent because at the end of the day, there are black people being killed, murdered spiritually, professionally, personally, every single day. And for some reason, you can tolerate that. Because for me, white supremacy is an abusive system. And with abusive systems, abusive relationships, abusive behaviors, they groom you to accept the abuse. They socialize you, condition you to be okay with this. So if you've been so conditioned to accept the abuse that you can accept the professional castration of a colleague or the familial harm of a friend without intervening, then protesting is not your work. You need to go see a therapist and figure out why you accept these abuses on a daily basis. Don't come to me and fight for Ahmaud Arbery because you're tolerating it on a daily basis in your families, in your organizations, in your congregations, and that's where the work has to start. You have to say no to the abuse. You have to view yourself, white folks, as also abused by this system. And you are abused by this system. Let's, to, to be clear and reiterate, you're very abused and you don't even know it, but that's what abuse does. It's exactly what abuse does. And I think that's a helpful place to underscore the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse killed white people. So now it's not only okay to kill black people, it's also okay to kill white people who are attempting to be politically solid with black people. The folks that Kyle Rittenhouse killed were all white men, Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, Gage Grosskreutz, who lived, but he still shot him. These were all white men. So you were also abused by the system. And if you don't do the system's bidding, if you don't hold on to whiteness, if you don't uphold whiteness, then you're just as worthy of death as the black people. You're a nigga lover. And in some ways, I believe that the killing of these white men who are attempting to, in a moment, express political solidarity with black people, a black person who was shot, was to say, hey, 
if you white folks keep this up, if you all keep protesting out there in the streets, we're going to let y'all have the same exact plight as black folks. We're going to let them kill y'all. So either get in line or get ready to die. I was just having a conversation about this the other day for folks. If you're you're going to stand up in public and do the things that you were just talking about, Brendan, but you're not going to sit in uh, search committees or hiring committees or um, boardrooms or stuff like that and advocate for people and put your risk everything for that, then you're you're not a quote unquote ally. You're not working against white supremacy at all. I mean, it's because to do what you and Brandon and Natasha are suggesting um, requires people to lay down their power. It requires people to give up something, right? It's much easier for me to publicly identify with an action or a statement that is going to make me look good. Oh, let's do this because of the PR behind it. Oh, let's do this because of the press that we'll get or the stories that will be written up about us. But to have to sit in a boardroom and dismantle power, to have to sit in a search committee and say, we're going to restructure the way the institution functions and the folks who have been on the margins, we're going to bring them to the center means that somehow at some place I have to dispense with the power that I have and whiteness ain't going to never do that. Well, and Katie, I want to hear a little bit more from you on this because at the end of the day, what I know from our relationship, and we don't have to get into the particulars of this on this podcast, is you are a white person who has attempted to, in your life, align yourself with black people. And what whiteness oftentimes does is tries to make you feel like a nigga. Say that. Say that word, Katie. When white folks fought alongside black people, they called them nigga lovers. Katie, say I feel like a nigga. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But whiteness always tries to invite you back into itself, right? And tries to say, remember you're white. Remember, this is what it feels like to have power and tries to entice you back into itself by one, making you feel an ounce or a fraction of the oppression that people of color, black folks in particular, feel on a daily basis. If you just let go of those black folks, those black friends, that black podcast, this is what you can have. Remember who you are. Okay, let me get you a shirt. It's going to say, I feel like a nigga. And, and I want you to wear that shirt. And I want you to report back <laughs> And to I me will not be wearing it. <laughs> but Katie, what does it feel like to align yourself with blackness and the challenges of that? Because it's not an easy process. Let's be honest. That's a good question. Absolutely. So, um, so I mean, honestly, and I, I've probably talked about this before, but you know, I wouldn't have even known how to uh, identify with blackness I, I, until I was working with predominantly black folks. And then you start to hear you start to see that they're not that naive, but you start to see that the narratives or the the understandings or the views of the world very differently than you do when you're surrounded by mostly white people. So because I built strong relationships with you, Brandon, and with other people. It's just Brandon. Well, I mean, I've known you all a half a minute. You ain't got but one black friend. <laughs> that ain't even true. Anyway, um, I began to see the systems that I used to live in um, totally differently. I began to see words I had said totally differently. Like I, I remember preaching these sermons about unity and reconciliation and all of this stuff. And, and now I'm like, yeah, I yearn for that, but we can't today, right now, sit down, hold hands and sing Kumbaya because people are dying and people are getting fired and people are losing their homes. People are people not allowed to get homes. People not, you know, they can't lose what you ain't got. Shit. Well, good point. So let's do this. Let's put a pin in the conversation for a second because I feel like this is a helpful spot to begin our conversation or pick back up our conversation about the devil, white supremacy, and evil. So this brings us to the end of our church announcements for now. It's a little heavier of an ending than normal, but you know, we roll with the punches here and this is what the moment called for. So let's get to this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this with the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks be to pod. While we're on break, Brandon, it seems that you don't know how daylight savings time works. It's true. He don't know when it's starting and when it ends. It's true. <laughs> he thought this Katie. was daylight it's true, savings Katie. time. It's true. Katie, why are you choosing violence today? Why are you choosing violence? I'm not. I'm just saying that conversation was a mess. It absolutely I was... <laughs> was a mess, Katie. <laughs> 
I wanted to do one of those TikTok things where you listen to people, yeah, like you show up the sound and then you go, how does this fool not know? I'm not doing this. You Katie, know. you just found out what TikTok was <laughs> when you talked to it two days ago. So chill. <laughs> but considering the last church announcements and what we about to discuss, I can't side with you too yeah, hard right I now, Katie. Katie. I hear you. I hear but Brandon, that, that Tennessee education clearly did you no good. I can attack. Um, because you, you was leaning hard into your daylight savings <laughs> ignorance. This is an act of violence. Sam, are you the, that one black juror in that trial? If so, it's clear why they chose you. Yes. It is crystal clear why yes. they chose you. You gonna side with whiteness like that? <laughs> <laughs> Give it to us, Natasha. What is up? What is up? What is up? Good people. It is your Bullshit. girl, Natasha. And I just Bullshit. stopped by to remind no. you I try to say what's up, good people. I say what's up, good people. Every time I say what's up, good people, you got a goddamn problem when you say what's up, good people, and you write this shit in the script for Natasha. Bless your whole heart. Today's episode is sponsored by Theo Lab Media. Theo Lab is a motley group of creatives embracing more imaginative ways of thinking about spirituality and humanity. To learn more, visit theolabmedia.com. And if you're liking what you're hearing, pay your tithes and offerings, y'all. Head on over to patreon.com backslash Media and put a little love offering in the basket as it's passed. We need the dinero. Let me tell y'all what's funny. I hadn't even read my next line. <laughs> I was reacting to the fact that she said, what's up, good people? And Brandon wrote that <laughs> shit in the script. And he don't want me to say it at all. <laughs> Brandon knows you. I didn't even realize that he wrote for me to actually say that this is a mug. I thought you were just like amping it up. No. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Well, we should know because he don't read the script. But um. we know he be pouting. I don't read this shit. But not only did you not not only so we see who your favorites are. You, you you okay. But not only did you write this in her, but you give her my line. You know what? I'm sorry, Sam. Like why? What am I chopped liver? You're not chopped liver. No, you're not. So what's up, good people? It's your boy, Reverend Sam. Bye, Sam. I just stopped by to remind you that you wait, wait. Are you gonna be redoing it again? Now sometimes you got to take away your power. You got to set it aside and let someone else. Is the white woman talking to me right now? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You better <laughs> say, let me. Is the white woman talking to me about power? It's about sharing. Because it I all belongs to, to God. I listen Stop to Natasha because she blamed. And she saved. It's like she's the only one saved. You down to 60%. Natasha, <laughs> slow your boat. It all belongs to God. All right, welcome back from that quick break. Let's dive into our word of pod. So last week, our word of pod was all about the devil. Katie was out, and apparently a few of you think I ended the conversation too quickly just as we were getting into something. While we can't go back and rehash that combo, <laughs> maybe this email from an HSP listener, whose name is also Brandon, and I promise it's not me, can start us off. Brandon from Georgia wrote, Hey, Let's HSP. go, Brandon. Hey, holy shit pot crew. I just finished this week's episode of the pod. Can you please continue this conversation next week? First, I think it would be really cool to have Katie chime in on this particular topic. Second, Brandon and Sam are moving somewhere powerful when out of nowhere, Brandon shut the conversation down and went into invitations. I'd love for you all to press your claim a little further. Isn't that what you say, Brandon? <laughs> some questions I have remaining are, why is the devil so important for some communities? Is the importance only linguistic? Is it also theological? What are the limitations of leaning into language and theology that takes the devil so seriously? Are there moments where that is problematic to personify the devil in this way? Likewise, are there other moments that it is the only option that makes sense? I'd love to hear your thoughts and bring Natasha back. She back. She ready. <laughs> Well, Brandon from Georgia, who is not me, thank you for the email and the question and we'll do our best to follow up on last week's convo and respond to all the things you raised and maybe a few others too. Sam, did that jar your memory about our conversation last week? The script says it did, but it really did not. <laughs> Um, well, particularly the part about we were about to really get into the thick of it. I need to listen to the podcast. But the thing is, you were starting to say good stuff and Brandon didn't like when other people talk, so he just slows it down. That is not it. That's exactly what happened. But I thought it was maybe just also Adriel's complaint that when things start getting good, <laughs> Brandon's done, right? Um, I didn't know if that was the situation. That was in my head, but it didn't come out. Y'all are so disrespectful. Y'all are just disrespectful. <laughs> you're rude and you're disrespectful. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tell Jonathan Sack that I got his first candidate for world vasectomy day 2022. Call Jonathan Sack. It's Sacks. It's not Sacks. <laughs> I think you were talking about how not believing in the devil, Brandon, could be considered a luxury. Mm-hmm. You know how some of these well-meaning white folks always want the kumbaya moment, always want to, you know, like, it's, we don't want to believe in evil. We don't want to believe in the devil. We just want to believe in the serenity and serendipity of God. And some folks who live in hell, mm-hmm. whether it's a, a horned person with a pitchfork or whether it's the white supremacist structures in this country, they are experiencing the devil on some level. And I think sometimes it's a luxury for those folks who don't have to believe or know of a devil that exists. Sometimes that can be a luxury because some of us deal with the devil every day. Some of us go to these jobs and some of us go to these places and we have to deal with the devil. They are, you know, but but I'm interested in what Katie and Natasha have to say about this topic because they didn't heard us talk about it already. I think this idea of thinking and talking about the devil as a luxury is a really good one. I mean, I will say that in the baptism vows that that we take or or that our parents take on our behalf and we claim during confirmation, one of the questions, actually the first question is, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the way of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? So we, we, we just slide right past that and never, never talk about what it means to renounce evil. Mm-hmm. So I think that also contributes to the everything's fine, all the world is okay. If we just got along, that would be better. I think that in seminary, and it probably shouldn't have taken me this long to realize it, but in seminary, I started reading about principalities and powers and learning more about that. As I've lived in the world, I realize um, that there is evil. That's hard to say because I I see your face, but because you're white, right? Exactly. But like, there is actual evil. Now, I'm not sure that I would talk about the devil, but I think that there are people who have been consumed by that evil. Mm. renouncing evil. It's not a one-time thing, right? Hmm. It's something that there is a responsibility to do every single day. You don't say no one time at baptism. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be part of the problem. People think, oh, I've already done that. Right. And, and we check the box off. Hello, no. Yep. Right? Hell no. Because it is every single day. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking Right. And if the devil, the devil self came and tempted the one we call our Lord and Savior mm-hmm. and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and principalities and high places. So, mm-hmm. yes, there there is a adversary of our very souls. Yes. The work of the devil and evil is to make us think it does not exist. Yeah. Come on, white supremacy. Hmm. It's to lull us That's to sleep right. under its gaze, singing these lullabies. Come on. Like, oh, no, no, no. Come by, y'all. We don't exist. But yes, you do because we live it. So, in order to be able to say, we renounced it already. So, I know I'm not given to the evil one. Yes, because you don't get to renounce something this powerful one time and think that it's just going to leave you alone for the rest of your life that you say you're trying to live it for Jesus. There is always going to be a opposite power. This is basic physics, Newton stuff. Mm -hmm. It exists in the kingdom as well, right? So we don't just get to renounce evil one time and say that it doesn't exist. It does exist. And it's a daily, sometimes multiple times a day, momentary thing, because like you said, there are spirits at work. If we don't think this stuff has a spirit that is at work, we don't need to look much further than the mirror, to be honest, to see how evil can work if it's not under subjection of God's authority. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even when it is, it can get the upper hand. And see, now you're talking my mama's language, right? That feels real uh, Vicky Denise Barbour Maxwell uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. But my mother used that language so much and was so into spiritual warfare and the powers and the principalities that I was completely turned off from it. Mm-hmm. Because I think to part of bringing this question about is there a way in which this can have a negative implication for our lives? I think there is a way that we can hyper-spiritualize things to the point where we're not naming the powers and the principalities clearly. Right. Like for me, when I read the New Testament and I read about some of the names for hell, there were actual places. Gehenna is a name that's used for hell in the New Testament, and that's an actual place 
around the corner where they were burning trash. Yeah. And so hell was rooted in their physical context. And so now my uh, 2021 language where I'm trying to learn to reclaim some of these things that my mother shoved down my throat in a particular way, but saying when I'm talking about powers and principalities, I'm actually talking about the manifestation of evil yes. in our everyday world. I'm not talking about that hyper-spiritually. I'm just talking about it spiritually. Yeah. And that for me is why I latched onto the principalities and powers in seminary mm -hmm. because it explained the world around me. And I finally understood, yeah. I, mean, I don't necessarily understand what's going on, but I saw it and I see it today. And Natasha, you talked about like, you don't even know the evil is in you, mm -hmm. right? It's so insidious. That's, that's part of its job is to make sure you think you're still doing the right thing, which is another reason why we A, confess every week or every day in our prayers or in worship, but it's why you have to be in relationship with other people, authentic relationship, because people are going to call you out. And But if you stay in your own head or in your own echo chamber, you're never going to know because everybody thinks that they're doing it well and that evil has not gotten them, but it has. And that's another thing too, when we think about power, People who wrestle to maintain power don't understand that there is a such thing as something having power over them. Mm -hmm. And so they, they can't see that there is something at work more powerful than them because it's unconceivable that something has more power than me, even God's power. People who, are, who wrestle with power and authority and who need it, they can't even see themselves under the authority of God. Hmm. And some people who end up in power actually have fought against the powers and principalities, but then they get there and that's when they forget. They think, oh, I've, I've gotten here and I've worked so hard, so I must be doing the right thing now. There isn't something ahead, but, but it is. It happens all the time. This is why people don't open the door. It's about that rooted evil. Because sometimes the evil is associated with a place or a position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you get into that place of position, that, that evil is just attached to that station or that location. Yeah. So in a previous place of employment, I had a colleague who was on a leadership team with me. And this colleague was so concerned that they had become the embodiment of evil. And their child said, you are now the man. Yes. You are now the evil. Mm. There's no way you can do justice in your position. And that colleague said to me, the only other black person on the leadership team, aren't you concerned that you're the man? Aren't you concerned that you're evil? And I said, no. I said, I'm concerned that I might be a lord to do evil. I'm concerned that I might engage in my work or hold my position in a manner that amplifies evil. But what I know is that there is a danger in sitting in this seat. Come on. But there also is a calling and a holy task to sitting in this seat. And if I'm not sitting in this seat with my sort of mindfulness, then someone else who may be more prone to evil might be consumed by that. So for me, I think that we've learned to place on certain positions evil, but those positions are not at their core evil. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be the case that in American culture, the people that we reward and the people that we place in those positions are oftentimes more prone to white supremacist behaviors and are more prone to evil. So, Brandon, if you function in those positions, in those places, the way that you just described, you won't be in those positions very long. That's a true statement. Yes. The institutions, the, the structures, the systems will find a way to rid themselves of you. And it may be by discrediting you. It may be by trying to get rid of you. And then it may be by enticing you. It may be by telling you, come on up a little higher. You know, uh, since we got the churchy people on, uh, Natasha and Katie, you, you remember when the tempter took Jesus and said, look at all of this stuff you can have if you just bow and worship me. And that's what these systems do. They either say that that you're not qualified, that you shouldn't be here, that you don't know what you're doing, or they say, look at what all you can have if you just buy into the narrative, if you just do our bidding, if you just, you know, do what we tell you to do. And let's stick with that. Let's press this a little bit further because I love it when we get to talk about scripture because I like to reimagine and reinterpret, reclaim scriptures. And so with this image of Jesus being tempted, right? If you're reading the gospels, we hear about Jesus before he's crucified being tempted to give over to evil. And the first temptation is to say, come on and eat something. Don't you want to eat a little bit? Mm -hmm. Eat something. Ain't you hungry? You ain't never had this good white supremacist food. Don't you want to eat some of it? Mm -hmm. And then you taste it and it's like, I actually do kind of like that. And then you want some more, right? It's an addiction. To take it even further and then to lean back into Brandon's question as well, like, 
I think the danger in personifying evil as something other than yourself, beyond yourself, is that you will always position yourself as the good. Right. You will always think of yourself as the protagonist. Mm. And there is some antagonist external to you that is doing evil bidding. But the reality is Christian scripture doesn't say that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, at least not explicitly, but theologians and biblical scholars have interpreted the scriptures to say that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And so I'm leaning into the humanity of Jesus. And I think that that tempter rose up inside of him. Hmm. He had been fasting for so long and in his state of hunger, something rose up inside of him that said, don't you just want to eat this food? In that state of exhaustion, something rose up inside of him and said, now you could jump off of this cliff Mm -hmm. and you could command angels to save you right here, right now, and everybody would see it and you would be the ruler of the world. Why don't you just do that? And that tempter was actually internal. The battle was internal. It wasn't the devil that came swooping down to tempt Jesus. No, the devil rose up inside of Jesus. And just like the devil can rise up inside of Jesus, it can rise up inside of you. And does. Thank you for that, Brandon. Yes, and amen. (laughs) Amen. We've talked about this for one week already. Are there any other comments uh, from Brandon's questions? Brandon just said Jesus had the devil in him. He can't be fully human and fully divine and not have that. Yep. My grandmama's turning over in her grave. Rest, mother. Rest in the bosom of God. <laughs> so the last question that I want to do here, and then let's go to invitation. What? I, uh, no, no. I want to know what Vicky Maxwell would say to that statement. I think she would actually say that she agreed with it because the way that she would talk about Jesus, at least in my childhood, when we talked more about faith. Ever since seminary, we talk a little bit less about that because you know we got some different perspectives, and we just want to have Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner like the white people and not talk about anything that matters. But back in the day, she would talk about how Jesus had to have our experiences. There was no way for Jesus, for God to empathize with us, to know our plight without having the totality of our experience. And so while I might have a 21st century millennial mindset around this and I talk about it in certain terms, I think that she might use different terminology to convey the same point. Jesus had to be susceptible to the devil in order for the Christian narrative to make sense. And that devil had to rise up inside of him. Okay, that's the part that I think there's some divergence, not with me and you actually agree with you. Um, But I think there's a lot of people who have positioned evil so opposite of good and external that to say this rose up from within Jesus, I think there's a lot of folks in Christendom uh, who will say absolutely not. Jesus ain't had no devil in him. That was an external devil. But I, I get what you're saying. That's part of the struggle and why we why we struggle to believe, perhaps some of us, in evil because we we are looking for something that is outside of ourselves. But it is not. Mm-hmm. It's not outside of us. These decisions and the things that we're talking about that that are happening that are evil, it's not happening outside of us, right? There was no devil in a red suit and horns and anything that came and shot Amal Aubrey, right? No. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? These were fully human people. Mm. And I think that's why we can't always see it because we are we look and we see, oh my gosh, this is a person that I love. They can't possibly be being used by a devil because the devil is so bad. I think beyond the individual, I think systemically what we are prone to do is to call certain groups of people evil and to assume that black people have the capacity for evil while also simultaneously assuming that white folks are not susceptible to it. Whiteness is good. Whiteness is holy. White is right. Blackness is evil. Black is in need of redemption. And so I think there are ways in which it is problematic to personify the devil, but I don't think that problem is in black communities. I think that we need to do a better job of naming white supremacy and those who align themselves with it as the devil and as evil. We don't do that well enough, but what we do have are centuries of white folks calling black and brown people evil, horrible, awful, dirty, sexually promiscuous, all those adjectives. And so that's where the problem happens. And so I don't want to create the inverse of that Mm -hmm. by suggesting that black people are only holy and good because we can also be prone to white supremacy, Clarence Thomas. That's that's good. I agree with you, Brandon. Um, I think it it raises other questions like then how then are we in relationship and community with people who are agents of evil? And do we have the capacity for that? Should we have the capacity for that? Should we try and see the humanity, see past their evil or evilness? No. See, I got a Ayala Vanzant spirit. You got to call a thing a thing. (laughs) Why are you trying to talk like that? With that finger, with that dirt finger. Not on my watch. (laughs) (laughs) 
Will you denigrate another black woman not on my watch? Yeah, I know that's right. But I think the thing is, I try to surround myself with people who can call me back to myself when I lose sight of who I am. And what I expect of those people who know me is to call me on the carpet if I have given over to evil. And I don't need them to tell me that I'm human. I think that we do too good of a job, especially for white folks, trying to remind them that they're human. The issue is not that they have forgotten that they're human. It's that they think that they're not susceptible to evil. That is correct. That they're not capable of evil. And so I don't need to say, oh my God, you're a human. Remember that. Remember you're loved by God. Remember that. No, you are evil. You're the devil. And what I need to convince (laughs) you of is that you are evil and that all of your actions and ways are evil. Sometimes you just need a therapist to talk through something. But I don't even think that's okay because I, what I've learned with the partner who's a mental health professional... I was joking with Sam. I was not... No, no, no. I know you were saying it in jest, but I think some white folks say it in, for real. Like, okay, the way to make people less evil is to put them in therapy. It takes all of it, though. Right. Yeah, that's if you have a good mental health practitioner. The, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the way white people believe you can make white people less evil. And we see that when white people do contribute to mass shootings or when white people go and kill people. Right. It's a mental health problem. But it's never a mental health problem when brown and dark skin and black people do it ever. It is evil. And Brandon, to your point earlier, it wasn't just individuals who was painting that narrative. It was organizations at the highest level of our uh, American government in our history who said that those dark Africans are more susceptible to crime and more susceptible to evil behavior. It's because, like as you said, it has been ingrained in us, in our culture, to say that whiteness is good or if it's not good, it's because of some mental health issue, um, but black folks are just predispositioned. Uh, brown folks are just predispositioned for evil. And and I agree with you, Brandon. You just got to call the thing a thing. And this is a good topic. And Brandon from Georgia, I hope that I'm not cutting it off again right when it was getting good. You are. You are. Mm-hmm. Because you evil. This is your evil rising up in you. Let's take another quick break and then wrap this thing up for the day. After the break, we've got some invitations for you to help you live life more abundantly and let go of that evil. I'm going to invite myself. Try not to miss us too much. We will be right back in a few seconds. We promise. But Natasha, I do want to comment on your lighting and say that it's improved. Or maybe it's your camera. Like, you look much better than you used to. My mom said, I don't care who tell you. She looks better than you do right now. That's because I washed my face. <laughs> I can't stand the touch. Are we recording? I hope we're recording. I, I used my face wash this morning so I could look a little more awake. Why is Natasha here? Can somebody <laughs> answer that? Why is Natasha here? Shade. That's my question. See, there you go, ask it. There you go, in my business. See, stay in somebody's business that ain't his own. What time did you go to bed, Natasha? In my business. Then see, if I answer the question, you're going to be like, keep it PG. Keep it PG. I ain't go to 2.30. I'm just telling Well, I went to bed, but... They said if it's mm-hmm. up, then it's up. And it was up. Ooh. And we put it down. Amen. Did you drop it like it was hot or put it down like it was warm? Oh, my. Oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, they're talking about sex. I know that. Ooh. That's why my eyes went. Okay. I didn't know. I just wanted to. You know, you be so, you don't like those things. We stay re- we stay recuperate. When we be apart, we recuperate like we really win. Is recuperation code for sex? Yeah. Were you lost? We shifted the language. I'm sorry. It was the language shifted. Brandon's language is like we had an appointment. We had an it's appointment. Brandon. <laughs> Correct. Brandon has to schedule his. his this sex. is the time that God has ordained <laughs> for this appointment. <laughs> It's like you're a Presbyterian, except with that. I'll never be there. Like you you can only encounter the Spirit by appointment only. Right. Sunday at 11. And I am a human of my word. We're back with time to spare. And we have come once again to that time where we invite you to internalize the discussion in some tangible ways. Some people have asked for a little bit of hope. Here it is, y'all. Katie, start us off. Talk to the people. My invitation is... I think I give this a lot. Find the you that is you. Know who you are in that space where you are God's and know what takes you back to that space. And whether it's walking on the trails with porcupines or walking on the cross-country trails where I do, you need to know what that is because when you know that, you will know when the tempter starts showing up. And, and, and But to know that, you have to know that it 
exists. And so start to notice that as well and surround yourself with people who are going to tell you that you are no longer yourself. My invitation for this week will be to invite us to see someone who we typically see as an extension of a thing as a human being. So for example, the person who comes to maybe gather your garbage at the beginning or the end of a day, the next time you encounter that person, look at that person and say good morning or acknowledge them as the human being that they are. And also do that for yourself as well. Spend some time with yourself in the mirror Like, look at yourself and declare what kind of day you're going to have before your day gets started Mm. and live into that. Affirm yourself and be accountable to the affirmation that you give to yourself that day. Uh, Leaning into this language of of what Brandon talked about, the devil being internal. And the scripture also says, if you resist the devil, the devil will flee. I invite you listeners to resist the devil, resist evil, Mm -hmm. to reflect, to think about the choices that you make, the people that they impact, to think about what your decisions are soaked and cloaked and saturated and resist the temptation, resist the evil, resist the devil as you move forward into your week. So my invitation is threefold and I'm going to take my time with it. The first fold, to all my fellow black humans listening to this pod, do yourself a favor and rest. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel like you are a race traitor. Just stop, breathe, focus on you, and rest. You'll be much more energized for the ongoing struggle, and you will have greater clarity on where you should invest your time and energy. Don't get caught up in white supremacy's foolery. Rest. If you need help learning how to rest, I invite you to follow my sister, Tricia Hersey Patrick at the NAP Ministry on all social media channels. You can also follow at Black Liturgies for daily prayers and resources that center the wholeness and well-being of Black people. Once you figure out your rest rhythm, I would love to hear about it. Email me personally. My email address is brandon at theolapmedia.com. The second fold, to non-Black people of color who are listening, when you get to the end of this episode, take a moment to think about how you can build deeper bonds of solidarity with Black people. Every single day, whiteness invites each and every one of us to snuggle up a little bit closer to it. It offers us a little bit of money, a temporary title change, a promotion, and all kinds of empty reassurances to trick us into thinking that we too can reap the benefits of whiteness. But here's the painful truth. Whiteness only knows how to kill. It feeds on you, sucks all the life out of you, and then tosses you out to the curb like an old newspaper. So your invitation is to pause and think about three ways you can build deeper solidarity with Black people on a daily basis. Don't be one of those folks who says, why are we always talking about Black versus white? You've missed the point if that's the question that you're asking. If building solidarity on a daily basis feels like too great of a commitment, get over yourself. I promise you that you are already mindlessly doing at least three things a day that cozies you up to whiteness. So think about that and then choose the opposite path. And that'll be a step in the right direction. I want to hear from you too. Email me what you come up with. Brandon at feelthatmedia.com. Now, finally, white folks. You are the final fold of this three-fold invitation. I invite you to think more deeply about the ways you've learned to, been groomed to accept and participate in the abuse of whiteness. If this is the first time you've thought about being harmed by whiteness, this may take a little bit of time. But the first thing I need you to realize is that this struggle for justice is not for me. You don't fight for me. You are fighting for yourself. And if you don't realize that, there is nothing we can do to help you. Racism kills you just like it kills me. And the sooner you realize that it isn't about what they're doing to me, what they're doing to Sam, what they're doing to Natasha, but actually about what the system is also doing to you, the more faithful you'll be on the task or in the task of helping to bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. Now, starting point for this might be closing your eyes and thinking about Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Tamir Rice, Corin Gaines, Maya Hall. Think about Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber. Think about Heather Heyer, who was run over by a car driven by a white supremacist as she protested in Charlottesville, Virginia. Where do you feel the pain? If you don't feel it, then we need to start by checking on your humanity. 
think about all those names again and the many other names that I don't have time to call and start trying to feel it. And don't feel it for me. Don't feel bad for how it impacts me. Don't feel bad for how it impacts my family. Feel it for yourself. The point is get in touch with how whiteness is abusing you and killing you and then learn to give it a big fat middle finger. And let's talk about what it looks like to build solidarity with black folks and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind when you figure it out. Send me an email. I love to hear it. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. We most certainly do, especially when you talk back. Shout out to Brandon out of Georgia for today's Word of Pod prompt. And you can be just like Brandon, y'all. Send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com to let us know what you're thinking and what you'd like for us to discuss in the future. All questions and comments, just like you, are always welcome. I'm not saying my part because Natasha already said it earlier and <laughs> I'm tired of her already. So I'm clearly being erased from this podcast. So... We canceled, Sam. <laughs> Sam, you are not canceled, but that's fine. I'll say that then. I'll say it too. No. No, sit down somewhere. I still got something to say. I can do the Apple Podcast part. Now, if you really want to show us some love, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this pod. We appreciate all ratings, but we love five stars the best. So please do both today. And don't forget, you can show us love over at patreon.com slash theolabmedia. All right, good people. We will not be back next week. We are taking some time off to be with family and recenter ourselves. So we'll see y'all in two weeks. They can't see us, Brandon. It's a podcast. You know what the fuck I mean. Until then, peace. Now you wait one day. You wait one damn minute. You can steal Sam's shit, but you trying to steal mine too? You can steal his too. Mm-mm. Now you are the chief podcaster, Miss Natasha. It's written in her name. Natasha, Prince, Princess, Queen. I got a whole shot. <laughs> It ain't yours too, it's the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. This line is mine. But like Natasha said, we'll see y'all next week. Peace. Peace. If it rises up, God's gonna tear it down. The anointing destroys every yoke.